0: Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Did you know that Clemson defensive legend William the Refrigerator Perry, noted large human, is a descendant of U.S. Navy Commodore Matthew C. Perry, who opened up Japan to the West and later went on to portray Chandler Bing on hit NBC sitcom Friends.
1: Unbelievable! Cool! Ice water in his mouth!
0: boys we are back and we are nine short saturdays away from tailgating sunshine home games and the wofford terriers their gimmicky offense um joined here today we got cody and ben standard podcast uh, co-hosts we're joined uh, once again by our producer and engineer pac-12 consultant and all-around good guy dan yo dog H- happy to have you here dan um Guys, I I don't know how else to describe our week in Clemson um, other than to call it a shit show. So we will certainly get into off-field troubles, depth question marks that some of the headlines uh, have portended. But uh, before we get into that, um, this week the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas released their odds for the results of all all college football regular season games this year. Clemson, um, somewhat surprisingly, was only one of three teams favored to win every single game that they'll be facing this year. Uh, What do we think about that? Do you feel like you still feel pretty confident that we should be favored in all of our matches?
1: There's a big difference between being favored to win every game and then actually winning every game. So, or or to win every single game throughout the course of the year. I I don't think we, uh, I feel like, especially with battle leaving now, and which we'll get into in just a bit. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. And, and Lakeup possibly being gone. I don't, there's, I feel like it's gonna be really tough for us to win every game. But, I mean, yeah, again, if you look at our schedule, you no know teams are really, like, juggernauts. I mean, you're not, like, talking—like I, I, I said last episode, it's, it's unlikely that any team we play this year will be a top-10 team. So, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, it's not out of the question. No, I think it is out of the question.
2: Um, in light of uh, the events that have transpired this week, I, I think this is completely off the table, and I would, you know— and this is why I'm glad I don't bet because I would would never bet against Clemson, but in a lot of these games that they have listed here that they actually pulled odds out on, I mean, I see four losses easily now. Um, Things have taken a turn for the worse. I know this type of stuff happens to every single team, and it's yet to see what's going to happen with teams like Louisville, Notre Dame, stuff like that. But we've taken a big hit at positions that we can't afford to take a, a hit at i um, talking offensive line, very important, one of the most important positions on the offensive line, and our kicking game, which can lose you, win or lose you, a couple games throughout the course of a season. So I'm now looking at Louisville, uh, first true test on a Thursday night, uh, Notre Dame, um, Georgia Tech, and then also Florida State. You know, we're favored to win, you know, from these odds from the Golden Nugget, and I can easily see us losing those four games. Um, The other two they have listed Miami and South Carolina. I still have confidence that we can beat those teams But the other four I think it's a toss-up at this point
3: Let me let me tell you who you shouldn't bet against the golden nugget because they have a pool and at this pool They have an aquarium with sharks in it and in this aquarium with sharks in it They have slides that go through it and you can slide through the sharks into the pool and they're paying for that somehow and so just, I just want to put that out there.
2: So that's how seriously we should take shark, the odds.
3: <laughs> Aquarium, shark, slides, pools are not cheap. Those guys probably know how to set those lines.
0: Fair enough. Um, so buyer beware if you place odds on Clemson win every game. Um, we have our doubts. Certainly we'll get into why we think that is. And um, later on in, in the kind of preseason run up, we will definitely talk about our, our projections um, and take a look at some of our opponents that Ben mentioned. You know pose the biggest threat for our our chances um, shifting but shifting gears a bit to college baseball season finally wrapped up this past week uh, with ACC rival and um, you know general baseball powerhouse Virginia winning the College World Series over um, who did they play guys
2: Vanderbilt Vandy yeah Tim Corbin Clemson coach uh, winner of uh, last year's College World
1: Series National Championship it was a it was a rematch from the previous year where Vanderbilt won, so I'm glad that Virginia won. Well, and Vir- um, ACC. Vir- Virginia was a loss
2: away from not even making it into the ACC tournament and barely made it into the College World Series. So this came as kind of a surprise, and then another thing that I was shocked to learn and really didn't know, first ACC team to win it in 60 years since 1955 when Wake Forest did it. So that really puts things in perspective, especially in light of the firing of Jack Leggett. You know, you can start to see people probably making the argument, well, it's the first time an ACC team has won it since 1955. Uh, I don't see it that way. You know, I, you know, he wasn't winning
1: it, so I think we should go for a guy who has. But. Ben, we, we should have won the championship in 2010. We it yeah, was absolutely. right. There. It was ours for the taking, and we crumbled. And yeah. Anyway, that that should have been the ACC's first. But oh well. Good job, Virginia. Congrats.
2: Well, and I will say this, and I, you know, I, I'm not a. You know, kind of like South Carolina is when they consider the SEC win something, they consider it as a win for themselves. I don't consider this a win for Clemson, but I am glad that an ACC team won it for a couple of reasons. It, it brings notoriety and attention to the ACC in one of the big three sports. It also brings money into the conference, which gets, uh, you know, distributed among the ACC team. So that's always, you know, it's always helpful. So, yeah, I'm glad they won, it and, yeah, I was pulling for them
1: for the record i'm always for conference pride i know i'm probably the minority here but go acc well there's there's two ways to think about doing that it's like how
2: you know some teams in the sec do it where they see when the uh, sec wins the national football championship they use it to say oh we play in the best conference and they act like that's a win for their their school like they won a trophy this is different i it's it's financially it's good for clemson It's a good position to be in when you're in a conference that's strong because you are also usually a strong uh, team and contender in the in those conferences. So it just makes you
0: your body of work look better. Yeah, I think when it comes to football as well, we talked about last time. You know, there may be a situation where you have a bunch of one loss teams. How your conference stacks up nationally from a perception and a head to head with other conferences standpoint matters. So, you know, when Virginia Tech is playing a high profile game against an SEC or Big Ten or Pac-12 opponent, you know, love or hate the Hokies, you probably should be pulling them for the, it actually does help you to see that team actually pull out a win.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's different than being a bottom feeder in a conference and just towing the conference line, you know, when they win, you win. It's it's a difference between that and actually being a team in the conference that, that wins a lot of games and is usually at the top because
0: right. then it makes those wins look more important. But if you're not winning anything, then who cares right. what exactly. your conference is doing? I think it's a matter of like jockeying for national position uh, versus
1: just you'll never
0: get you'll never hear me
1: chanting ACC. Basically, you might hear me. Quick story. I know we're going off on a tangent here, but I was at in in Auburn when they won the national championship in 2010 and they started chanting around Tumors Corner, you know, the tree that was poisoned. They started chanting S E C S E C. So, I'm not saying that we will ever be at that level, but I'm not I'm not opposed to rooting for ACC teams. Perfect example, when we played Georgia Tech played Ole Miss and blew them out in the bowl, in the bowl game. That go ACC, I was like, yeah, I was I was waving that flag. I was chanting ACC after that after that win.
2: I will only do it sarcastically. Just to
0: kind of make fun of the SEC, but I don't know, Dan. Pac-12 conference pride. What's Pac-12 your take? Pac-12
3: conference. I, I don't. I'm just more bummed. I'm talk, I'm going to talk Big 12. I'm just more bummed that. Uh, shout out to my TCU Horn Frogs. My brother went there. I'm just bummed they got knocked out. So I can. I you know all my awesome frog puns are just like put on ice. Like bases <laughs> toaded, and the toad to Omaha and. <laughs> I just. Can't, I want to bring those back again. So I hope they. I hope they stay on top. Do you have any good Jim Schlossnagle, lines? <sighs> Not off the top of my head. Okay get to the chopper we'll
0: let that that one marinate yeah definitely well maybe let's stick with the the Big 12 Um, you know certainly everyone remembers Big 12 being left out of the playoff last year they had two teams that by all rights had had a decent uh, shot or um, you know take it being in in the playoff last year with Baylor and TCU uh, both being one-loss teams they're talking expansion I think we should until they do expand to 12 teams we should call them the big nine. Um, but the teams they're considering, Ben, I know you've looked into this one. Who, who has the best shot of being added to that big 12? Well, I would think right now, so we hear a lot that they've been
2: flirting with BYU um, for a while now. This is it's kind of tough. Uh, you know, football is one thing because it's a revenue-producing sport. And the travel for one game uh, for one week um, out of the year is not that bad. But BYU is a team, uh, because of their religious stance at the school, they don't play on Sundays. So this affects uh, sports like basketball and baseball and other minor sports as well. So then you start talking about cross-country travel and what happens when they have to play West Virginia, which is 2,000 miles away. So that's a factor that definitely uh, goes into that decision. Um, Some of the other teams that that pop up, like Memphis and uh, Central Florida, you know, those aren't big-name programs. Those aren't going to get you any notorieties. Uh, Air Force makes sense kind of geographically being in Colorado, but, you know, Much whatever. Much more than Central Florida. Right. Um, Go Knights. Cincinnati, maybe. They've had some success in basketball and football, you know, at least in this century. <laughs>
0: yeah, they have a rivalry with West Virginia as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a possibility. You, know, you hear teams like Houston. You know, I don't think that Houston has... Has done enough in any sport recently to?
3: Au contraire! You know, I, you know. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in as Texas football correspondent. Okay, I'm switching gears from Pac-12 correspondent to Texas football correspondent. I think Houston's on the precipice. I think they have the best position of any team uh, to join the Big 12. Huge market. Uh, they just built a brand new stadium, and they just hired the offensive coordinator uh, from Ohio State under Urban Meyer. So they're gonna come in with a high-powered offense. They're gonna pack that stadium. And they got all the people in the world to come to games there. So I think, out of any of those teams you just named, I think Houston's got a great.
1: Case. So Houston could be the Syracuse of the Big Nine. Is Houston, that
3: what you're saying, Dan? Houston's like a thousand times the size of Syracuse. Okay,
1: I'm off base, obviously.
0: <laughs> well, and I feel like Houston also has a historical kind of legacy um, position with a lot of those teams in the Big Twelve so play them you know in the 80s and prior to that well know. let's let's talk about history then
2: because then the last team they've been talking about is SMU and so SMU has a huge history in football of course we all know they got the death penalty and it's an uh, old Southwest Conference team right that really shuttered their their football program but and speaking of offensive coordinators a Clemson offensive coordinator former offensive coordinator Chad Morris now the head football coach there it, it will be interesting to see what he can do there and what kind of prominence he brings them
0: uh, because, then, again, they're in a football-rich area, right? And they'll have a lot of support. So my, so, my question is, we know that Texas really, in effect, runs the Big 12 at this point. Um, Oklahoma is certainly a powerhouse in that conference. Um, and TCU and Baylor definitely are the, the cream of the crop in modern times in, from a football standpoint. How much is Texas, and maybe those, those lesser schools, going to be keen to have an SMU and a Houston join this conference? just from a revenue sharing standpoint, the effect it'll have on recruiting, you know, are they gonna open the door to these, these schools that are gonna maybe chip away at some of their prestige? Well, and again,
2: we're talking about Texas. That you're, getting, you're getting Texas heavy in this conference. And You remember, the Big 12 is in this position because they sold out to the University of Texas uh, with the, you know, their, their, their TV network. You saw Colorado and Nebraska leave the conference about this time. So do you really wanna get that Texas heavy as a conference, do the teams within Texas want that competition? I mean, you might as well become the big Texas at this point. You know, forget about numbers.
3: Uh, Texas doesn't have to worry about recruiting against anybody. Texas is Texas, and it doesn't matter how down they are. Um, that school has so much history and so much brand power, for lack of a better word, that, it you know, Charlie Strong, like, he can come in and he can recruit anybody he wants. I guarantee you.
2: Right, but they're the fourth best team in the state right now.
3: In, in recruiting, that doesn't matter. Deep not if pockets. you're Texas.
1: Deep pockets, too. That yeah,
3: matters. Yeah, it does, it does matter. Uh, their, their athletic department is actually a private entity. It is not connected to the school.
2: Well, that makes sense based off what we've seen coming from them. But again, okay, so that that's fine for them. But what about the other uh, big uh, 12 minus 3 schools? Um, you know, how would they feel about this? Do they really want to get that Texas heavy? I mean, that's a ton of schools from the state of
0: Texas. If you bring a Houston... Or an SMU in. If you're Oklahoma, if you're Baylor, if you're TCU, especially those latter two schools, on the one hand, you don't want to see dilution of the Texas recruiting pool, et cetera. However, you just were left on the outside looking in. So I think at this point they need to get to twelve teams. They've got to do something. I agree with that. Right. Yeah. I agree with get that. Get to that conference ch- title, kind of at all at all costs. Like whoever they need to add, whatever they need to do to make it happen. Um, you know, conference realignment, consolidation. We're moving much much more to a a world of the haves or the have-nots and I think the Big 12 They're kind of in this this critical moment where they have to figure that out Well, let's talk about a school that wasn't listed here
2: And we've we've already seen the Big 12 was willing to reach out to the East Coast to pull in a team They did it with West Virginia. Let's talk about ECU They've had a strong football program over the past several years. They really have they have won some big games They've been ranked They're a team that somebody, one of these big conferences is going to pick up. The ACC hasn't picked them up because I think of academic uh, standings, but that's not something the Big 12 is going to be so necessarily concerned about. So if you're talking about extending your brand across the country and bringing in new markets, especially in the state of North Carolina, ECU seems like a possibility. It's not mentioned, but Mm -hmm. I I really expect one of the bigger conferences to pick pick them up because they have had success in recent years on the field
0: yeah you definitely have seen with the former big east you know certain schools kind of in that second or third tier try to move up the food chain a bit and ecu has never really done that i think this could be a moment for that based on you know the quality of their athletics um certain schools like that have been like central florida south florida um etc so it's interesting yeah, I mean, I would be looking for Eastern Carolina
2: to take a step up. Appalachian State moved into the uh, FBF uh, you know, division uh, uh, last year, I think was their first year, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. But, you know, the, the, the market, there's a, there's a lack of quality football in the state of North Carolina right now that's heavy on sports. You know, Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, you know, Duke being the best out of those four teams right now. If if Eastern Carolina could really get the funding and get in a conference, could bring in the money, they could potentially stand to take over that state in football.
1: That says a lot about where North Carolina football is. But yeah, no, that's a good point. It's very basketball centric
2: um, for those schools. Uh, Out of all of them, you know, North Carolina there, they've been ranked highly over the past several years going into the season, they've been overranked. And I think some of the academic issues issues have been a problem. North Carolina State has been a disappointment. Duke's been a surprise and Wake Forest is, you know, what we expect them to be. So I'm just saying there there's an in right there and I wouldn't be surprised if something developed from that.
3: Yeah, there's an in. Do you want to go fight in a basketball do you wanna go fight in basketball country for the Big Twelve when you could just add another Texas team? And I mean
0: It's mean, probably the lower fruit, I it is. think. It is. But adding West Virginia was always an interesting wrinkle. So I'm sure that won't be the last kind of progression into that part of the country for that conference. And I'm sure West Virginia would love to have kind of a natural rival in the zone. So I think Cincinnati would probably be on their radar. Um, Definitely one of the two other Texas schools we mentioned. Um, Cool. Let's switch gears back to a conference that we care about, um, the ACC and specifically Clemson. Cody, talk to us about recruiting for a minute.
1: So... Parker Boudreau, offensive lineman. You, we obviously see the, the importance of offensive line with seeing the attrition um, as he had battled his departure, but also just like the, the very weird things like with um, Timothy Gifford and Patrick DiStefano, who have like, who, who were, you know, for weird reasons like injuries who, who pushed them out of the program before that they, you know, before they even had a chance to really thrive. Um, offensive line really needs to be a priority, and Parker Boudreau is, is, is really the guy that's on our radar. He's from Florida. He's, he can be both a guard, both a tackle, um, and it looks like bad news is, for one, he, he started out really leaning, heavy lean to Clemson, but now it looks like over the last you know few weeks, few months maybe, that he's going to be like probably leaning more towards Notre Dame. This this decision like kind of come up, very sudden and that that usually is a bad indicator because he hasn't been to clemson recently um in, in addition to that uh, deandre overton who is a wide receiver out of north carolina that we've been targeting it looks like we're in good standing with him and uh, we're about to have the all-in cookout, so we really—I think—we're probably going to secure that commitment as well as Trey Lamar, a very a stud of a linebacker, out of Georgia. Really like this guy. Uh, watch his film; it looks—he looks amazing. I, I really think he'll. Uh, I, it looks like he was between us and Auburn, and I think he's—he's going to come to Clemson. We'll see. He's—he's uh, he's up soon, but uh, yeah. So, do we have any any indication why Parker Boudreaux might be leaning towards Notre Dame? No indication. Just that. All of a sudden he's he's going to make his decision we we didn't realize it was going to be this soon and whenever a, a commitment or a, a recruit i'm sorry wants to make that commitment out of kind of like out of the blue usually it's an indication that he you know he went on a visit and he had he liked what he saw and he's hates and it, it wasn't the clemson so it looks like it's probably going to be to notre dame maybe he didn't like what he saw is that a possibility it is if you're playing the devil's advocate there is a chance that's the case and i hope that is the case because we really need this guy but I'm gonna say, if I, if I were betting man, I would say no, he's, he's going to Notre Dame.
3: You know, you got time to flip him. We have a saying, it's awfully warm for February.
1: Good point, we can always, we'll have a little bit of time. We won't we won't quit, quit recruiting him, so we have some time to flip him between now and, you know, it's like a year until the signing period, so.
3: Yeah, plenty of time.
1: Especially if we uh, take care of business against Notre Dame, we definitely bode well. How big of a, how big of a, like, swing would that be we're going hey we just we just beat the crap out of your your the team that you're committed to hey why don't you come to clemson get some playing time right away because god knows we don't have no depth in, on, on the offensive line so and you better believe he'll be in death valley for that game absolutely hopefully wearing orange and not whatever gold and navy and green in green <laughs> yes those are their colors
3: <laughs> they have like 30 colors
0: that's true they
3: have a lot of colors
0: very good um well i guess guys uh we've been avoiding it long enough um let's maybe run through some of the headlines we heard this week so um returning right or i'm sorry left tackle um isaiah battle cody you've listed him in the past as basically the number two most important and crucial um, members of the clemson football team this year he will be entering the nfl supplemental draft um, in the next in the coming days here and you know we could talk about what led into that decision and this outcome um but for a minute i'd like to just understand what effect you cody think this will have on our o-line depth and our prospects to protect deshaun watson
1: and really keep our offense on the field yeah this is a huge loss like make no mistake about it this is huge you can you can try to look at the positive and say yeah we have a guy like mitch hyatt who's a five-star freshman that's going to come in and and take and you know fill that spot but for one it's never good when a, a true freshman is is uh, is plugged in right away and two there is absolutely no depth at def- at offensive tackle at this point um it's not even about you know it's not about the the importance of isaiah battle which a huge important anytime you're blocking for deshaun watson it's important but really the thing is there's not any depth behind you so whenever you whenever you go or whenever someone gets injured you kind of kind of leaves you screwed. Um, so anyway, so yeah, it's it's not looking good. I don't even know. Like we have Joe Gore at right tackle. We have Jake Frommorgan, another true freshman, backing him up. And then behind that, I can't even tell you who the next tackle up would be. Maybe Noah Green, true freshman, Justin uh sophomore. I and, no idea.
0: And isn't isn't O line a a position group where I mean every every year we see. I mean certainly in two thousand fourteen. Like, it was something from a depth perspective that was an issue for us. Every year, you think teams with the best O-Lines tend to, even if they don't have some of the playmaking talent, it at least keeps them in games and keeps them on the field and with the ability to make plays. I feel like we've under-recruited this position in recent years.
3: Football starts on the lines, man. Happens period. End of story.
2: Starts on the lines. And, and that's something that we've seen in games we've had against teams like Alabama. Uh, and, and really, the... you know, a lot of teams from the SEC, the five-year losing streak to, to South Carolina. A lot of that was lost in the trenches.
1: Absolutely, and you look at like a, a good example of having death was last year on our defensive line. You know, we didn't have we had some top-end talent with like Grady Jarrett and Vic Beasley, but there was a, a very small drop-off when we got to guys like Deshaun Williams or you know Corey Crawford, uh, Shaq Lawson. You know, the, we have nothing there like beyond. Isaiah Battle, I mean, or I should say Mitch Hyatt, who's going to be our starter now. I, I have no idea like where that where that answer is, and Lord forbid he gets injured. Like the margin of error has just become that much smaller. And again, our, our the 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 hope for our season to make a playoff to be a national championship contender is going to be on Deshaun Watson. How good can he be? And the guy and that will you know obviously depend upon who's protecting him
2: his blind side his blind side yeah that's a that's the most important position on the offensive line um so nah, this is a big hit and you know maybe this has really left a bitter taste in my mouth i mean some of these other guys that have issues and problems off the field the thing with ebo you know that was a thing he did one time i think his dismissal from the team was warranted but i really you know you know first time offense, you know, you really hope the guy learns from it. This isn't the first problem we've had with battle and they came out, uh, the statement was he's having a kid in the summer and he wants to, you know, he has family issues he needs to take care of and this is for his family. you you know, you're ha- if you're having a kid in the summer, you know, you know you're having that kid before spring ball after the season is over. Right? So this stands out as being very selfish to me. We've heard about some other off the field issues and some academic issues with him. And so he's eaten up a scholarship essentially that we've wasted for this next recruiting cycle that we could have brought somebody else in. And he took valuable playing time away from these other younger offensive linemen during spring practice. that could have gotten them
1: ready for this season. The thing is, Ben, we we really didn't even have, I think that goes back to just having depth. We have not recruited enough people. At the tackle position okay. or the offensive guard we just we don't even have anyone we took we did take four guys last cycle which was good and we and we and we delivered we had some good prospects there with Hyatt and from origin. before that we had two two guys really two offensive guards in the class before that two guys we need like we we'll, we need to put out, like a much larger priority on yeah. offensive offensive alignment. and you know, like what
2: are we doing I completely agree with that but these are in my mind two separate issues because that was a pre-existing condition and this within it's itself having on
0: having battle there.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, this is very selfish to me. He's a, he was a senior. Like he's supposed to be a role model. He's supposed to have his stuff together at this point, point. and kind of what he's done to the team is is very selfish in my opinion. And with these kind of character issues that we've seen coming out of him, yeah, he may be a first round talent. I predict him right now as a bust
1: in the NFL. Honestly, just from what we've seen from him. For for one, his stock is like. There's no way he's like he'll be in the supplemental draft. So basically, what happens is an NFL team that takes him will lose that pick. I can't imagine it'll be in, in a top five, top six type scenario. He he completely had the opportunity and the chance to come into Clemson have a good senior year. You know, like you said, prov- you know, prove the doubters wrong. You know, prove to the scouts and the and the and the professional teams that hey, he is a, he's a leader. He can he can demonstrate the the leadership and the and the, and the qualities that you, you need from a first round pick. and and obviously the performance he could have done that and he could have made himself a first round pick but that's that's not going to happen now
2: well that was that was his own doing so well i guess we'll have a true freshman starting the offensive line for the first time since 2004 when barry richardson did it so you know if mitch hyatt's going to be as good as we think he is maybe that's
0: not such a bad thing but i think it's beyond mitch hyatt it's who comes after him what if he gets injured yeah it's situational depth um it's plays where we might want to actually bolster the line for getting short yardage situations etc where this puts us in a pinch guys would you would you now list the o-line maybe as the weakest link on the team from a position
1: group it's the thinnest link on the team there there's still enough talent there i think to be actually i take that back it's it's pretty it's pretty up there with our weakest links but the fact that you, as an offensive lineman, all you're doing is banging against bodies and moving laterally, there's a great chance that you're going to sprain an ankle or you're going to you're going to get hurt. So at some point, Mitch Hyatt's probably going to get hurt. He might miss a game. He might, hell, he might tear his ACL. It happens. Well, and he's not going to play every snap either. Right? No. He,
2: yeah. It just doesn't happen. So it's very interesting to me because not too long ago we were talking about how this is the most talented group of offensive linemen that we've had in a while and now one injury to a key position the most important position on the offensive line and it turns into this and we've already talked about a quarterback who has had injury issues and we really need to protect him this is a huge hit and this is the difference between you know winning or losing at least
0: two games maybe three i think all right let's I think we, we recognize the potential downside here, the risks at hand. Let's talk about what, you know, just Scott, Dabo, the offensive kind of game planning scheme perspective. What can they do knowing that this might be a liability? Can you scheme your way out of an inferior offensive line? Well, fortunately we are really
2: high on skill positions. Like we have at the skill positions, well, wide receiver and quarterback, some of the best in the country. So that is that is a positive. Those are tools you have to work with. You can spread the spread the offensive out, spread the field, and get the ball away from you know right at the offensive line. Get the ball out quick, and maybe you can take some of the brunt of that and some of that you know mitigate it a bit. So, but
1: we've also talked about the running game. How does that affect that? I think it's more the passing game with the tackles. I think we're okay right now with the guard. We're, we're not going to get any push like with our guard. We have Tyrone Crowder, who is a stud, has great potential at right guard. Beyond that, I mean, it's 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 basically backup level caliber guys. Talking about Eric McLean, Ryan Norton, Jay Guerra okay. I think he, he's, he's he's a quality guy. But we're we're kind of left. I mean, where are we at with tackle? And we have Joe Gore as our right as our right tackle, who has not he hasn't been able to get it together mentally. He's just not. He's not performed to the level where, where that he should be and he has the talent and then you have Drake Fromargin who's a true freshman that's going to kind of anchor that backup spot both behind Mitch Hyatt and Joe Gore. He's going to cross train it both and we man we're left at a nothing at a bad spot and like someone's going to get injured and I, it's just it's it's not good. Silver linings Cody. Are there
0: any here? Are there any to be had? Can we still expect our playmakers to produce if you know Watson is on on the run? there's I mean you know the good sign I guess is we are playing teams that are also turning over defensive talent we're not facing a Jadavian Clowney this year where you know having a above-par left tackle is crucial but that being said I don't think you can go 60 minutes every single week You know playing design rollouts and jet sweeps you know expecting your athleticism to win i think you have to win in the trenches as well
1: we're going to beat wake forest we're going to beat these we're going to beat some of these lesser teams of the acc we're going to beat them every time it's not going to be a big deal Where, where it becomes a problem is when we face notre dame when we face fsu maybe even south carolina or or at louisville that's where it becomes an issue where that where the 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 quality of players on the on their defensive line that's where that's where it becomes a problem and obviously the depth the silver lining would be that we might be okay but we're man we're going to keep our, keep our fingers crossed and just hope for good luck because we're one injury away from just from it being a shit show like you said in the opening that's 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 where we're at
2: right and now. let's not pretend like injuries aren't going to happen yeah they're going to it's the offensive line
3: I don't want to bum you guys out, but you got, y'all are y'all are describing Washington football for like the last six or seven years right now. No,
2: oh, please don't say that. Which is
3: no <laughs> no depth on the offensive line and legit skill positions, and it's a recipe for mediocrity. I I, don't, I know, Ben, you're looking pretty sad over there, but dude. That's how it goes, and if there's one position you don't want to you don't want to burn red shirts at, if there's one position you just have to start experienced players at, it's the offensive line. You can you can start your freshmen to skill positions. That's fine, but man. Don't start them on the offensive line because we've done that. We had a couple four you know highly recruited guys out of California. You start them as freshmen on the offensive line, you literally end their careers. I mean, their bodies aren't ready for it. And we had two or three guys just have to I mean literally retire from football because they had to start too early on the line. Killed them.
2: I will say this. I mean, it, at least the, the the young guys we have, the freshmen, they're big boys from the south. So there is a little bit. What are you trying to say about pac twelve football? Uh, they're uh, they're a little huskier in, in the south.
0: Interesting I say, choice of words,
2: considering we're talking about the Huskies. <laughs> no pun intended.
3: California's got some some players. These guys were Cali guys.
2: i, I, don't, I don't, is not
0: barbecue. I guess I haven't seen a lot of big people out here. <laughs> Um, fair enough. So, O line certainly a liability for us. Um, definitely, definitely take a closer look as you know preseason practice comes in and people start to you know really establish their position there. But um, you know, fingers crossed that we have um, no injury issues as we get into the season. Elsewhere in headlines, um, place kicker Amon Lakeup uh, was arrested this week on charges of DUI and cocaine possession. We've seen certain kind of narcotics related arrests or violations happen in Clemson football um, with suspensions being levied, not necessarily dismissals from the team still remains to be seen. Dabo Sweeney head coach is apparently on vacation uh, this week. So, you know, no, no um, punishment has yet been communicated, but we'll see how long that suspension is. But guys, let's say, let's say it's four games. Let's say it's, takes us through basically right around the Notre Dame game can Amon Lakup bounce back from this do you feel like from what you've seen from him in the past what you know about kickers you know kicking is such a mental game that you know from a standpoint of having to come back from adversity um can do you Ben let's just ask you Amon Lakeup, what kind of year does he have and does he play yeah this is this is really
2: disappointing because you know, we saw Lakip have a slow start to the year and then really come on at the end of the year. He started making kicks and he started feeling more com- confidence in him. You know, like Chandler Cat- Catanzaro had a slow start to his career and then turned out to be one of the best kickers that Clemson has ever seen. And he went on to do the same thing in the NFL. So I would really high hopes that what the progression we saw for Ammon throughout the season, that that would keep up. Because like you said, kickers are head cases. And so this is a big blow. Alex Spence, our backup, don't think he's ready yet. And to be thrown into the fire like that, okay, yeah, the first two games, uh, Wofford and App State, whatever.
0: But that's when I, I that's you when- you see us on the road in Louisville, coming down at the ex- end of the game? That's exactly
2: what I was gonna say. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's where you're gonna see it show. And I don't expect, I expect Ammon to get four to five games. You know, Sammy Watkins, star player, got pulled over with marijuana, got two games. This is cocaine, a more serious drug, and a DUI. Much more serious offense. So I I expect at least four to five games. Um, And yeah, I think this is a big hit. Because again, just like we we, we talked about on the offensive line, the most important position on the offensive line, I think the kicking game could win or lose us two games throughout the course of a season. Uh, We saw it lose us the Florida State
0: game last year certainly happened in my tenure at Clemson with um, kickers like Aaron Hunt yeah exactly and you know we, we were spoiled with
2: Catman for a while and we've heard a lot of good things about about Lackett. and and now this coming out like this this is another huge blow it really has been a really bad week for Clemson football at some positions that are really important to the
1: team. Yeah, if if Isaiah Battle was the second most important player on our team, and that, that's we could make a great case for that, then Lakeup was pro, he could you could also make a similar case that he was probably maybe the top five or top ten important player on our team, and we've lost. And I, by the way, my opinion on that is he's going to be gone. I, I, I could be wrong. He might he might he hasn't had any like history beforehand, in uh, no strikes. You know, in the three strike rule for Dabo, he hasn't had any strikes previous to this. But I think, I mean, you're talking about cocaine and a DUI. I feel like there's a good chance. Dab was on vacation right now. There's a good chance when he gets back, he's going to completely axe Lakeup. So, assuming we have lost Isaiah Battle and Lakeup at this point, yeah, we've lost two of our probably top ten players on the team going into the season where, where the margin of error is very small in, in terms of us making it to that playoff or winning the ACC. I, I don't, I, I
2: find it hard to believe it would be gone. I, I think if he was going to be kicked off the team they wouldn't have come out with a statement that he was suspended indefinitely. I don't think I don't think the offenses warrant that. I think it's a kid that hasn't done anything. This is his first offense and you have to give him another chance. I mean, you just don't you don't boot kids from the team. This let's let's point this out. His charges was a misdemeanor. This is different than Ebo who had a felony and was kicked off the team, okay? So there has been precedent set, especially with Sammy Watkins. So that's why I'm saying probably four to five games is what I would expect to see come out of this. I do expect it to be harsher, and I think it should be harsher. Um, but I don't think you kick a team. I mean, this is a learning situation. You're supposed to teach through these moments, and you're supposed to
1: give people second chances and see what they can make out of them. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm not saying he should be booted. I, I just think he, there's a good chance that he may be. See, I think it would have already happened, though. I think it's very easy on vacation to make that
2: decision. You know what you feel. I mean, Dabo's come down hard. He's been swift with his
1: punishments. I hope hope he's back. We need him. You're right. Alex Spence is not ready. He's the next man up, and he's not ready. But the problem is, is yeah, we need him, but is four to five
2: games too late for needing him? And is having Spence getting that experience just set him
0: up for the end of the season or next year to actually start making some big kicks? We could be at three losses there, or Alex Spence could have... You know, stepped up and you know solidified that starting position. You could keep Lake up on the bench, coming off, coming in as a backup.
2: Well, and, and, and this is the thing too. This isn't the same situation as Sammy Watkins. Like Sammy Watkins comes back after two games and he has to earn his playing time and his position to get back on the field. No, he's going to have to kick his way back into it. If Spence is somewhat decent from any stretch, you know, mm-hmm. so he's going to have to earn his way back onto the field. In addition to serving his sentence or his suspension. So we'll see four to five games is a lot for a young kicker to kind of go through some struggles and start to do better. And you start to see confidence build. And if he is, you know, has some down times and maybe not a great game against Louisville, but then comes back and has a big kick against Notre Dame or something like that. How do you pull a kid off the field after something like that? His confidence is an all
0: time high, especially for a kicker. That's huge. Definitely. Um, not to keep railing on sort of negative issues that we saw coming out of Clemson, but- We're going to. uh, But we will (laughs) because they're there. So turns out um, three players, and I think these are all due to academic issues, potentially other discipline issues, uh, tight ends, JJ McCullough and Jordan Leggett and wide receiver playmaker standout Jermon Hopper um, are all on basically academic thin ice with the, the football team. We don't know if they're ineligible. We don't know if they've kind of violated un- unwritten team rules here, but uh, certainly chatter going on about either outright dismissal, suspension, or ineligibility for these guys. So, first of all, just we have two tight ends on this list, such a crucial position for us, especially with a thin O line. Very disappointing to see that, um, and definitely with Jermon Hopper. I mean, I personally thought he he exhibited tremendous playmaking ability last year when he got touches. We were gonna need him when certain playmakers like tavis scott were gonna get doubled up or you know had defensive schemes run against him hopper could kind of be our relief valve there so if any of these guys are out again that strains our playmaking ability playmaking ability and protection ability on offense
1: downright sucks i i kind of go the other way on this when you look at jj mccullough and jordan leggett you're, you're absolutely right when you talk about depth. we know the importance of depth there but Frankly, neither one of those guys have has lived up to their potential. You know, mainly Jordan Leggett, who came in as like a really an NFL type type talent that hasn't really put it together. We have some guys like in the full, We have Milan Richard, a Richard freshman. We have Cannon Smith, a Richard freshman. So you talk about like in baseball, they have wins above replacement. It's kind of a similar concept. Like, what is the replacement level? And our replacement level, there's not really much of a drop off. So I don't really worry too much there. And then Jamaron Harper, wide receiver. You know. A, a, I'm hoping for the best, but like I don't really worry about it too much because there's Deion Kane freshman coming in, Ray Ray McLeod freshman coming in. We got plenty of answers at wide receiver. Not not a big not a, I we don't want to lose anybody and it's 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 sad to see these guys, you know, not living up to the standards that, that they should be, but I think we're in good shape regardless. But offensive linemen when those guys go down, that that's a that's a problem. Well,
2: especially when you don't have depth. And I will point out here that these are all rumored things nothing has been confirmed yet but this is chatter that we're hearing so we don't know for sure but we do want to speak on it because these are guys who have had issues in the past we've seen issues with hopper and leggett and mccullough um yeah so from the wide receiver standpoint where jamon hopper comes into play yeah okay we have such depth there that maybe it's not an issue but again injuries do happen and he is a guy that has experience and he is a guy who has a high upside. So you never want to lose somebody like that. And then the tight end, we've had trouble at tight end for a while now. We hear that uh, Stan Seconder may be moving to a wide receiver position. Maybe they have to move him back. Um, you know, the, the tight end used to be a, such a big part of our offense. You know, guys like Michael Palmer, Dwayne Allen, you know. Brandon it, Ford. It, Br- Brandon Ford. It was a huge part of our offense. And not just from the playmaker standpoint, which, you know, what Jordan Leggett is supposed to be, but you also need a guy that can block, right? Again, offensive line issues. Who's going to step into that position? We have a bunch of young guys coming in. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, yeah, okay, this may be minor, but built on top of all the other problems that we're having right now, I think it all builds up and it results in
1: losses. I mean, I think that's what it equals my my hope for the for this season i don't think i was being a little bit i don't think i was being optimistic i'm, I'm for the most part a realist i was thinking we have a great shot and a great schedule that allow us to get to a playoff i don't really feel that anymore i, I feel like i don't know where it's going to break down but at some point it will break down I and mean, maybe whether it's the offensive line whether it's deshaun watson's health or maybe somewhere else it's i feel like it's going to break down and we're not going to make the playoff and i feel like with the acc the margin for errors we talked about this last week the margin for error in the acc is so small that it's it's likely that we don't we're not going to make a playoff and we don't small and
0: it's a small margin of error not because it's a dominant conference and we're you know you can't you basically can't lose a game lest everybody else just run away with the conference it's you basically have to come through the clean sheet or one loss against a very good team to be considered on the national landscape because of Perception of it being kind of a second tier conference. So
3: yeah, you can win the conference and it doesn't guarantee a playoff spot
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: No, I mean there's five big conferences. So one conference is gonna lose out Absolutely I think our only if if we have one loss our only chance is losing at Louisville early in the season or against Notre Dame and Notre Dame ends up Being actually good, which you know may or may not happen Uh,
0: but I think with a lot of these issues something that we haven't touched on too much I just see it potentially as a lack of leadership among the, the core players going on right now. We, you know, who are our senior leaders, right at this point. And you know, we, we were blessed. We were basically stacked on the defensive side last year with senior leadership. Two years ago, Taj Boyd's leadership on offense, you know, definitely set the tone. We had very few academic or disciplinary issues. And I think this is kind of what you get sometimes when you, when you retire some of those guys, we don't have others stepping up and stepping into these roles. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not like the seniors are going to always be with guys like Ebo guys with the M and et cetera, but it just sets like a culture within the locker room and within the team that, you know, keep your head on straight, stay focused on, on the prize, keep your eyes on the prize, basically that we might be seeing some of that slip away. And that's actually where even, you know, turning over our offensive coordinator, you know, is Chad Morris being gone, having some effect here as well. That's a good
1: point, but I think it's more just the the natural you know flow of college athletics. In this case, where we, there's always going to be the highs and the lows. We had that great defensive core last year that provided a ton of leadership. I think Stephon Anthony and Tony Stewart were tremendous leaders, and we're just going. We're in a point now where the senior class, for one reason or the other, there's just not those guys that. Uh, that that are you know have exude this quality so i, I but i think it's okay i think that we have other guys younger guys that will have to step up so bad news it's not good for 2015 good news is 2016 and beyond it is good news because these guys are going to get thrust in there they're going to get time on the you know time on the field they're going to get their reps but they're also going to get a chance to be like hey Mitch Hyatt this is this is your opportunity this is your team like lead us we need you
2: well and we've always said that 2016 is really the year we should be focusing on as being our best opportunity to get to the playoff and win a national championship though we were still holding out hope for 2015 because though we may be thin at some positions the guys that were starting were good and it really came down to is the defense going to be able to live up uh, to their expectations and, and really fill in the shoes of the guys that left them last year. Is Deshaun Watson going to stay healthy? And is he going to have a breakout year and really
1: just carries the team? The talent is there. That's the thing. Like, I, I, I completely, I can see why that you could look at the, the depth chart and say 2016, but the talent is there in 2015. The issue is it's so thin. It's been yeah. getting a lot so my, thinner. My yeah. issue is the talent is there
0: at the, the one spot across the board and even not in certain defensive positions. The issue I have and maybe where we could take this conversation is you actually need to have kind of number one level talent and ability three deep on your depth chart throughout. And that's what Alabama has. That's what, you know, the best programs in the country tend to have. And um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think sometimes we might be overemphasizing kind of cultural additions to the team, legacy recruits, five heart dabos, if you will. And I understand having like a kind of a familial aspect of the team is important and is defined Clemson's culture and it actually helps recruit some of those, you know, top tier talent. At the same time, are we giving scholarships, you know, positions, playing time and depth away
1: to guys that actually aren't Clemson caliber athletes? I think so. I mean, and I I, I completely, I stand behind Dabo. He's... He's led us. He's he's a leader for the program. He's a CEO, and he's, he makes a lot of great choices, like ninety percent great choices. There's probably about ten percent where he he's lacking, and that's because probably doesn't come from a bad place. That ten percent where he is is lacking isn't a bad anything bad about him. It's it's more of it's probably he cares too much or he you know he trusts too much. He's loyal to a fault, and in the case of these five heart Dabos, yeah, you're talking about. Uh, the twins, uh, Jeff Davis's sons Judah and, and JD Davis, who really their best case scenario is being you know, serviceable special team players. These guys are they have scholarships. We could be given the, we could go out and, and recruit offensive linemen. Absolutely. And- I mean, like even if it's just one or two, and you 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 know, there's there's probably a fifty percent chance that an offensive lineman will bust, but that that should go to an offensive lineman. I mean that's where those scholarships should go. Uh, Brian Dawkins Jr., Amir Trap. I mean Brian, I mean two cornerbacks essentially that are about five eight, five seven, and and really stand not unless they like grow two or three inches, they really don't have a chance of making. Uh, Rex Ryan's son is holding a clipboard. Yeah, we're okay with that one. He he's not taking up a scholarship, but uh,
3: you know Diddy's kid is out there.
1: If you need, <laughs> if you need a body, that's a new still. Diddy will come up with a body apparently. From what I hope
2: you've all heard that story if you haven't
1: did he like yeah he got
2: into it with the strength and conditioning coach at ucla which is the guy that tripped he used to work for the new
0: york jets and he tripped the miami player on the sidelines
3: same guy it's true yeah.
0: here's the deal though if you're gonna get in a fight with a coach snc coach probably the last one you want to want to be going after
1: yeah i'm, I'm anyway. guessing he had a gun anyway so yeah it's okay to bring in these guys if they're under the radar they don't like They're not the sons of rappers. I think that's like, Rex Ryan is okay. He's clear. He's got a football pedigree,
0: not a a poor rapping career pedigree.
2: So anyway, I mean- Snoop's
3: kid is actually pretty, supposed to be pretty good, I think.
0: I just think, think of the attention, the time, the recruiting kind of bandwidth and cycles that go into guys that probably will not see starting playing time on the field. I would just like to see Clemson, you know, whatever balance they could strike, Keep the culture alive. Keep kind of the the flow going that we have, while maximizing the amount of recruiting resources that go toward guys to really get us to that depth that we need to be covered if guys opt into the NFL early, fall fall to injury, have arrests, etc.
1: Because we we've seen the attrition at offensive line. We we need more bodies there. I mean, it's what it goes back to. These we're we're essentially allocating five, maybe even seven scholarships, up to seven to these five hard dabos. I don't want to call them that. They're, they're legacy scholarships. We, we just can't continue to do that. It's not sustainable. And we see the importance here as we're not just on the offensive line, but you look at like a position like defensive back. Where where are we there? Like, What are our answers? Who's side? the next McKenzie Alexander? But, it's a good question. That's a good question, totally, because he's going to be gone after this year. Who is the, men, the next McKenzie Alexander? And we don't have an answer there. But now let me ask you this. I mean, how many scholarship players on a football roster? 85?
2: Yes, ish, ish, yeah. Okay, so you take Brian Jockins Jr. off of that, and who's going to be the eighty-fifth guy? Is that going to be a guy that really makes that much of a difference? But in because total, it- are you talking about ten percent? Right, but if you go down the Clemson roster right now, there's there are guys on there you have never heard of. There are seniors, you know, majoring in architecture, and those guys aren't playing. Like like who are those guys? So I'm telling you, you can't I- trust those architecture majors. You Clemson can't.
3: architecture majors. Yeah, they're horrible people. And They're stupid. They build terrible buildings.
2: Um, anyways, Clemson architecture major here. Um, no, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, these are a handful of guys. And it's not like we have some roster. five-star
0: linemen. No, you, you
2: put 22 juror. guys on the field yes. and you're talking about 85 scholarships. And so who's the guy? Are you really going to fill Brian Dawkins Jr. position with a four-star offensive lineman? No, I don't think you are. And then the, the, the effect that comes out of having Brian Dawkins around your program and the guys that he recruits that he pulls in as the most loved Philadelphia Eagle of all time and one of the best NFL players that Clemson
1: has ever put out there. Ben, how much money did he make while he was playing for the Eagles? Millions. He can pay for his son to be a preferred, or a preferred walk-on and still get to be part of Clemson. That's the point. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't. Like, yeah. You, Jeff Davis as well. I mean. Well, maybe it's about prestige, you know?
2: And I don't know. I mean, like, you go back how many ever years? Like, the money that you make 20 years ago in the NFL is not the
1: same that you make now. Yeah, I can't. You know, it's not all about the money, and I, I get it. I get what you're saying. I'm okay with, like, giving these, offering these scholarships. If it's one, maybe two players, you know, per, per year or per, like, four years or so. The issue is with. Is with like guys like you know you're doing talking about Amir Trap, and and now we're we're thin at defensive back and you got two guys there and what where's our answer? We can't you can't start two five seven dudes like they they have no chance of ever playing at Clemson. Okay, but, all right, so we have four guys right: Amir Trap, Brian Dawkins Jr., and the Davis twins.
2: So you're talking about scholarships number 81, 82, 83, eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, uh, and then an eighty fifth. Um, yeah, you know, who,
1: or is that really going to make or break the team? Apparently, it has. Look at Isaiah Battle. Where, where's our offensive lineman we recruited four this year, and then the two before that, two before the year before. But are those those last four spots? It's are a they, numbers are game. Really it's like going like sales. it's
2: a numbers game. But, you, but you, are those last are, gonna, four, are those last four? scholarships are really going
1: to make or break the team you have guys that are on scholarship that never i think see the funeral. i don't think there's a better example that illustrates that point more than the fact of how thin we are at left tackle to say yes that will make or break our team make or break our season but we have
2: left tackles and if, they're on scholarship they're just not gonna be good enough to play
3: if that's the case then look at teams look at teams what's the first penalty that the ncaa goes to the take away scholarships and that in the long run that hurts teams That really does make a difference. I'm not gonna make any excuses for out there, like teams like USC. The first thing Sark does when he gets in there, he starts complaining about scholarships and yada yada yada. But I'm telling you, like over the long haul, it can't hurt a
0: team. If we're if we're giving away, and I know it's less than 10%, we're not throwing nine players, nine scholarships out there. But you know, five to 10% of your scholarships
1: would love to see that bolster some of these positions with thin depth. And we're recruiting three and four star guys, like. On a regular all, basis, all over the place. So yeah. that's the was it opportunity cost for the economics people.
3: Yeah.
1: Indeed.
0: Anyway, uh, tough week certainly. Yeah, um, tough week. We will hope for I guess no further violations or issues um, as we get into the preseason here. So maybe switching gears and to end possibly on a positive note, um, Clemson has been ranked in. Top 10 for something we all control as fans, game day experience. From a tailgating perspective, from what the school puts on inside the stadium, to the atmosphere that the fans bring to the table, um, we have been ranked in the top 10. Guys,
1: can't argue with this one. We have a great game day experience. Unlike the other other parts of the ACC where you get about 50% attendance, Clemson is amazing. And uh, that's, that's a good, yeah, it's, it's great for our school to get that kind of recognition.
2: Yeah, we've been on a lot of top 10 lists recently, and this is the one that's the least surprising. We all know. I mean, we went there, we know what it's like to, to tailgate there and the community that we have, and how you know, a 20,000 uh, population town in South Carolina turns into the third biggest city on Saturdays in the fall. So, yeah, this comes as no surprise to me. And we, we've heard these great things from uh, other people across the country who've come to Clemson football games. So, yeah, it's
3: a, I've been one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually visited Death Valley some years back. Uh, Texas A&M Clemson game it was like Military Appreciation Day. Yep. Chuck Whitehurst, the clipboard Jesus, um, was back there throwing the ball around. So, um, I'll say, from from a, a from a visiting fan standpoint, man, it was awesome. We came up, um, you know, we we. It got a little dicey there because we brought our Texas barbecue and the dudes next to us had the Carolina barbecue and we, you know, we had a little barbecue cultural exchange and, um, but all in all, man, it was, it was really fun. People were super nice. And, uh, the tradition with, uh, what is it? the, um, is it a rock that everyone rubs before they go in? Is
2: it a rock? Howard Listen.
1: Howard's rock. Yes. Howard's rock. Right before we run down the hill. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah California, yeah. by the way. Death Valley.
3: Oh, is it from Death Valley, California? That was cool, man. I, I enjoyed the whole experience and people were nothing but the friendliest, I gotta say.
0: Absolutely. Um, certainly it's, it gives us a recruiting edge as well. Any, any kind of on the fence on the bubble recruits who visit for especially a high profile game tends to have a lasting effect. Let's hope that plays out with uh, Parker Boudreaux this year with the Notre Dame game. Um, we were also ranked top 10 in um, ESPN's Futures power rankings. So don't know how much that factored in, kind of recent hiccups, but looking ahead at recruiting classes and kind of where they expect us to net out, you know, we're, we're kind of factored in from a football product standpoint into the top 10. Glad to see us there. Let's hope that continues.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they take a lot of factors in, into account there, like coaching, recruiting, We're great trajectory. We, we're gonna talk about this later on. Absolutely. Uh, this, is a, this is like a 30 minute segment right here because it's huge that we're number seven in their eyes. And let's continue that momentum.
2: Yeah, no, I think the future is, is for sure bright and in spite of the recent happenings this week that just throws more freshmen into the mix. So
0: the future is still bright. It's really this season we're talking about. Definitely. Um, back to baseball real quick. Uh, head coach Monty Lee already paying dividends um, coming in for his first year. Uh, Left hand pitcher, former College of Charleston recruit, um, commit flip to Clemson. So we'll probably see a couple more of these happen. Hopefully we, we can retain all of our commitments and current players through the transition to a new head coach and a new system, um, as well as some, some great signings throughout the state. So keep going, Coach Lee. Yeah, this kid had a .61 ERA last year. So
2: this is huge and this isn't like other sports. You get 11.7 scholarships in baseball. So the, the parity is huge and it spreads out, like the, the talent spreads out through other teams. So this isn't a guy from a mid-major we're bringing in. This is a top quality pitcher. This is good for us because we're, we're, we're lacking in pitching.
3: Where does the other point three scholarship go?
2: Yeah, we went over this
0: last week.
3: Oh, sorry. It's, it's <laughs> for little
0: people, right? All right,
3: Dan? All right?
0: It's not for little people, but uh, a big person was in the news this week for donating money to Clemson. Uh, former power forward, current Utah jazz player Trevor Booker threw uh, 30 Gs at his alma mater. Guys, pretty big donation, especially from a guy that flew under the radar in terms of his kind of alumni status. I
1: would I would like to see I don't have his figures to his contract right now, but yeah, I mean, go Trevor because you're right, he has not been like as as supportive of the university as like, like CJ Spiller doesn't mean he, you know, he doesn't like Clemson, it's just that he hasn't been like as vocal or as present on like social media. But yeah, that's huge and good for him. We love I love watching him play even in the NBA. Loved watching him in college. He's he's a heck of a player.
2: Yeah, no, he, he's not a guy that you see a lot that, that comes back and is, uh you know, around Clemson and see him, you know, showing his support, I guess, but it's it's good. You know, I love him as an NBA player, too, and it's great to see that he's contributing back to the university because he was a huge fan favorite. He was such a huge uh, contributor to Clemson basketball, and we love watching him play, and I still love watching him play, and it's really... You know, it's great to see his contribution back to the school and and the things that he contributed to are huge too
1: and great programs Yeah, and quick story I, I hung out with Trevor a couple times in college very nice guy like very laid-back So that might have more to do with the fact that he's not so like up Upfront and like, you know, he's on Twitter the only time that you do see him on Twitter though Like if you haven't kept up with Utah Jazz and I don't blame you if you haven't is Ennis Cantor who left the, per, who left the team He he called him out on Twitter. This guy is like he's all about business, talking about Trevor Booker, and he he called out Ennis for not working hard, for being more about the flash and not you know not more substance. So I'm like loving loving Booker. I loving like the kind of vibe he's becoming. You know the the kind of things that he's doing in the NBA right now.
3: Ennis Cantor was at one point committed to the University of Washington before Mr. Calipari uh, got involved. Yes, he got involved. Ching ching (laughs) ching ching. Terrence
0: Jones as well, right? Terrence
3: Jones as well. Yeah. Terrence Jones actually committed to UW on TV uh, before he got a phone call from Mr. Kalpari.
0: That is a shame. And that is actually all the time we have for today. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast. Uh, we will check you out next time for our 15th episode. And until then, go Tigers, and please don't get arrested.